0: How is everybody today? Enjoying Labor Day weekend? Uh, Maybe a couple of you are. Nobody else is. You know, I I never understood Labor Day. Why is it that we take, we pretty much don't work on Friday. I mean, we're there. We're getting paid to be there, but we're pretty much done, right, on Friday. Saturday, we don't do much. Sunday, we don't do much. Monday, we're not supposed to do anything, and we call it Labor Day. I've never understood that, but I'm not going to argue with a long weekend. Amen? All right. Well, we're glad that you're here with us today. And uh, Before we get started, I want to let you know about a new ministry that uh, we are starting here at Journey and we need your help with. Uh, It is on Sunday mornings and it is a new guest ministry uh, in which we have the opportunity to receive guests and uh, also to help them learn a little bit about Journey, uh, to help them find where they need to go. And while we don't need it this morning, increasingly what we need also are some people to help Guests, as they walk in, find a seat in here uh, as it fills up. When we're singing and everyone's standing and um, we're pretty full, it's hard for a a first-time guest to come in and find a seat. Although, if you've been here a while, you just nudge and push and tell them to move over. But if you're not comfortable with that, then you need a little help. Anyways, our overall guest uh, reception area is going to be changing. We're going to be setting up an outdoor station uh, because we don't have a whole lot of space indoors, so we're going to be setting up an outdoor station, but we could use your help. The great thing is you can serve on this and not miss worship. So we would love for you to participate. Donna Gibson is going to be heading up this team, and so you can talk with her if you're interested. Here, here are the qualifications. Number one, you need to be able to smile. And I know that's a challenge for some of us, but you can work it up for a little while, right? You need to be able to smile, and you need to know where the bathroom is. You need to know where worship is. You need to know where kids' check-in is, okay? Now, if you've been here more than once, you know all those things. Um, So we would love for you to participate in that. And some of you are going to be asking um, because we know you would be great. And uh, really, we're just looking for some friendly faces to help with that. If you're interested, see Donna or come see me, and I'll get you connected. All right, let's uh, we're going to get started in a new series. Um, One last thing before we do that is we are excited. If you haven't already heard that Richard and Wendy's baby is here. Felicity Cadence was born this week. She is healthy and she's doing great. And mom, dad and Felicity are at home. Uh, a bunch of you signed up to help take him a meal on the meal train. We appreciate you doing that. So we'll, I'm sure they will be. Uh, we'll have a proud dad here showing some pictures to us very soon. So be praying for them while they're away from us. All right. If you've got a smartphone, if you've got a tablet, then you can turn. Uh, you can follow us along on U version. If you're in second through fifth grade, you can go to Kidmo. If you're a second through fifth grade leader, you can go with them. And uh, for the rest of us. I wanted to to start a series following up the last couple. We've had a couple of intense series, and the first one being Elephant in the Room, in which we went through some of the core beliefs of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and what does the Bible say about some very hot topics in the world today? Now, my guess is not all of us agreed with everything that was said, yet I hope that what we had an opportunity to do was to walk through Scripture and look at what Scripture says about some very hot topics. Yet those kinds of topics those kinds of sermon series they can be they can be intense for us because you know we're we're having to face the reality that when we follow Christ we have to walk contrary to the way the rest of the world works or the way they walk. Then we followed up with a digging deeper series through Philippians. Now I want you to know we're not going to be going through those basic questions in the series are free, yet I hope that you will use those in your own personal study. Because remember, your greatest things you will learn from God, the greatest ways you will hear from God, and the greatest pieces of wisdom and that you will get out of Scripture will come in your own personal study, not from when you come to a, a small group or come to worship or you know, hear somebody on the radio. It's when you take the time to dig into God's Word and you let God speak to you through His Holy Spirit. This series, what we want to do is we want to talk about what is, the, what is the truth of what happens when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the truth is, for many of us, when we go through our minds thinking about what freedom means, a number of images will come up. If I were to say to you right now, I am here to save you, what thoughts go through your mind? For me, I would be thinking from what? (laughs) What are you saving me from? Is something going on that I don't know about? Are you saving me from the coffee? How? How are you going to save me? All right. I I don't know that answer, but that's a good question. The next question I'd ask you is simply this. What does it mean to be free? What does it mean to be free? And I want you to think about that. Because if you grew up in this nation... You automatically think of patriotic thoughts and jets flying overhead, great football games, which we haven't seen a whole lot of this weekend, let's be honest. When we think of freedom, we think of a 21-gun salute or we think of the American flag waving in the background. But what does it mean to truly be free? And I would follow that up with this basic simple question. Do you, where you're sitting right now, in your life, do you feel like you are free? See, as we go through and we study some of the things that, that God has taught us, he has told us that we are supposed to be free. And our study for the next few weeks is going to be based on Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to spend some time in that today. But Galatians five one simply says this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke. Of slavery, which is a wonderful verse, and I love this verse, and we often teach from this verse. The problem is, there are a lot of Christians who don't feel free. And what we're going to find is when Paul's addressing a specific group of believers, he knows that there are Christians who still feel like they are in bondage, they're still struggling. Life is not what maybe they thought it was going to be. What we find is we read through some of those early believers in those early times. You know, I always thought if if I was alive when Jesus was alive and I got to see him perform a miracle, I would never struggle with any kind of faith issue. I would never struggle with belief. I would never struggle to follow in his steps. If I could just see him restore someone's sight. If I could see him raise someone from the dead, I mean, surely. If I could have seeing those holes in his hands and his side and his feet, I would never struggle with thoughts that maybe this isn't real. But unfortunately, a lot of us struggle with bondage. We're in bondage to false beliefs. We're in bondage to wrong priorities. A lot of us, because of where we have grown up, we are in bondage to the need for more. Is that not bondage? To never be content with what we have. We're in bondage to an unhealthy understanding of of faith and works, and that I believe in faith, but I feel like I'm not doing enough, or that God's upset with me, or disappointed with me, or somehow I'm messing this whole thing up. We feel in bondage. We feel in bondage because we're trying to fit into a broken society feeling bondage because we don't wake up in the morning just excited about everything that that day holds. Instead, we still have dread, fear, disappointment, and at times depression. See, a lot of us still struggle with bondage, and yet Jesus has said, I have come to set you free. Why is it that so many of us don't feel free? Now, some of us in the room do, and some of you have a supernatural ability to be positive in the midst of whatever life brings you. How many of those are in the room? You're just positive about everything. Okay, we've got one, two, three, four, four people. That's not good. That's not good, people. Occasionally, you're occasionally optimistic? Well, I'm occasionally optimistic as myself, but I mean when you're regularly optimistic. There are sometimes that some of us struggle to be optimistic. I mean, the whole glass half full, glass half empty. We look at the glass and we want to know why we don't have two glasses. We need two. The one I've got, it doesn't have enough. It doesn't hold enough. So a lot of times we struggle with what does it mean to be free and increasingly as we look at our the changes happening around us which truly if you want to read through scripture you find that all of the things that every pastor is warning you about how america is going to hell have been happening since jesus walked the earth all these things have been happening this whole time now there have been Different times that it's easier to ignore. But all of the negative things in the world have continued to happen since Jesus was here. And yet he still said, I have come to give you freedom. And what he is saying is, or what Paul is saying, is that there are some people that are rejecting freedom and instead are willingly submitting themselves to bondage. Submitting themselves to prison. Submitting themselves to being shackled. Submitting themselves to a place of enslavement. So, what we're going to look at today is just a very basic question. What does it mean to be free? Does it mean to live in a nation where we have liberties? Certainly, that is one understanding of freedom, and it is an important one for us. But there are so many other ways that we find ourselves in bondage than just to a government. As we look through some of these, some of the misconceptions, that I think we struggle with is that whenever we read in Scripture that Jesus wants us to be free, what we misunderstand is we think that means that we are supposed to be free from hardship. We're supposed to be free from disappointment. What would your life look like if you were never to be disappointed again? What would that look like? Boring? I don't. I don't. That's an interesting thought. Boring. Maybe could you could you get tired of never being disappointed? Certainly, some of the things that we treasure the most would not feel so wonderful because we wouldn't have anything to compare them to. But sometimes we think we're supposed to be free from hardship, free from pain, free from sorrow, free from failure, free from poverty. Free from want. Wouldn't that be nice? To be free from want. And for many of us, our theology, we struggle and we begin to mix the idea of faith and works again because we sometimes believe that if I really know Jesus, the kind of freedom he's talking about is freedom from the temptation of sin. And yet, all of us struggle with that still, right? So maybe none of us get it? Is that what Jesus meant? We would be. Free from the temptation of sin? Let's look at Galatians chapter 5, begin with verse 1. We're going to go through, chapter, or through verse 15 today. But we're going to start with verse 1, and it says this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So one of the big questions as we read through this is what is the big deal about circumcision? And it's not a big deal if you're a baby and you have no idea what circumcision is. But what we find ourselves when we look through the history of the Jewish faith, not only of the Jewish faith, but of early Jewish believers, is that they struggled with trying to tie in the old way of doing things with a new way of having a life through mercy and grace and the love of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So as we look at circumcision, while it's a very specific act, it is representative of all things that would keep us in bondage to a system that did not work for righteousness. In every Jewish household, from the very beginning of the, the history that we read of Abraham... What we find are instructions by God to Abraham that said, if you want to be in covenant with me, in other words, if you want to be in a committed relationship where you have my favor and I am actively working in your life, every boy must be circumcised on the eighth day of their life. Now, that was great for those who were born into the Jewish faith. But along the way, there were allowances for those that were outside the Jewish faith. And if you wanted to become a Jew, though it was very rare, if you wanted to become a Jew, you had to take on all of the rules of being a Jew. And one of those rules was circumcision. So if you were an adult man and you wanted to become a Jew, you had to be circumcised as an adult, It was just one of the things because that was a part of keeping the law that they were supposed to have, the old covenant that they had with Abraham. We read about that in Genesis 17 and it said, God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. You shall follow the rules. You shall do what I've instructed you and I will be with you. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. And here's the kicker. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So as Paul begins to teach to the church in Galatia, There is among them a group of people that believe you cannot be a follower of Jesus unless you are first an adherent Jew. You've got to follow all the customs of the Jews. Now the problem with following the customs of the Jews is if you really want to get into that, you can read some of the Old Testament books. You can read Deuteronomy. You can read Leviticus. You can read Numbers. You can read a lot of the Old Testament books that talk about those basic laws that go far beyond the Ten Commandments. But what has happened throughout their history is that they decided God's rules were not enough. Those are fun people to be around, right? It's like your parents set out a group of rules and then you go see your grandparents and you found out you got to follow all your parents' rules and now your grandparents have all different rules. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. Don't Don't make any noise. And so you have all these added rules in here. Now up to this point, what we have seen in the early church is a group of people that have been beholden to this old law, this old covenant. The covenant was never meant to be a thing that could actually lead a person to righteousness, but instead was there to show us how unrighteous we really are. And yet there were some who used it to bludgeon those who were less strong in their faith. At this point, Paul is writing to a group of people that have never at any point felt the need or been obligated to follow the Jewish law. It was a group of Gentiles outside of the area of Jerusalem. They never had to follow any of those covenant things. God never had a covenant with them. And yet when Jesus came and he was nailed to the cross... When he breathed his last and the curtain ripped and then three days later he rose from the grave and he walked again. He changed everything for those that would call him their savior. And what he promised them was not an easy life and what he promised them was not that you would never be disappointed. What he promised them is not that you would never have hardship or sorrow or pain Which is important because those who deal with hardship and sorrow and pain often feel like God is mad at them. He never said you will never deal with those things. But in the midst of them, I will give you true freedom. And yet in this church and in this place, there are a group of people saying it is not enough to trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's not enough for God's grace and mercy to give you freedom. If you want true freedom, you have to follow the rules. And if you don't follow the rules, then you're out. As we read on in verse 7, it says, You, talking to the church in Galatia, you were running well. In other words... I taught you the initial things. You understood what it meant to be free and to know Christ, to be free from the condemnation of the law, to be free from judgment, to be free from having to be perfect yourself because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. You were free from all of that. You were experiencing joy. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Someone else has entered the equation. Someone else has just... Turned the theological page just a bit in a direction that was a, apart from what Christ did for us. The verse eight says this persuasion is not from him who calls you a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Paul, the ever polite person with comfortable speech that never tried to hurt anyone's feelings, has strong words for the person going around saying, you cannot have freedom in Christ. You can only have freedom in following the rules. Now let me ask you this. We didn't grow up in this time. We weren't in the church in Galatia in which Paul was writing this letter. But what are some of the rules you find yourself having to live under to be a Christian today? Just throw some out. Be a doormat. Okay, what else? No drinking of beer. beer. Ooh, that's, that's tough. That's tough. All right, what else? Have to go to church. That's right. But it's not enough to go to church, right? What else do you need to do? That's right. Every time. the offering bucket goes around. Make sure that offering's in there, right? What else? Come on. What are the rules that we impose on people? Dress up, to go to church. dress up. You did not do that. <laughs> well, I'm glad you had clo- I'm, I'm glad you have clothes on. That's, that's good. That's, a, that's just a good step in the right direction. Got to dress up. Why do, we, why do we? Why do we have to dress up? What's the reason? We give our best to God, right? That's what I always heard growing up. You dress your best. You put on your best for God, as if our filthy rags in any way justify us before our God, right? But those are the rules that many deal with. Anybody else? What are some other rules that we tend to impart on people? Good. No smoking. No cussing. Or do have no drinking? Yeah. No dancing. That's not a problem for me. But for some of you, that might be an issue. Yeah. You know, we know what it feels like for somebody to look at us and say, and in so many words, you are not enough. You know how that feels. You know what it feels like for somebody in so many words to say you will never amount to anything. Because if you were, you would be doing X, Y, and Z. Now there are people that like to make those statements to you. There are people who like to make those statements to others for a very simple reason. They like to have control over people. See, when Christ offered us freedom, he's not offering us freedom from difficulty. What he's offering us is free from that control. He's offering us freedom from someone else dictating what it looks like to be righteous in God's eyes. He's offering us freedom from the opportunity to say, I no longer have to live according to the ways of the world. There is a better way in which I can live. And I will leave this world and I will be with the one who created it. And yet in this church and in churches today, what we find are some people. And Paul says, I don't know who it is. But he's got some strong words for them. He's trying to take the freedom in which God has freely granted them through love. And is offering them shackles back into an old system that never worked. See God never intended for the old covenant to be the end all. He knew it was not something that we would ever be able to attain. Because you and I are not disciplined enough in order to never sin. It's not possible. Even in the old covenant they knew it was not possible for you to live without sin. And so there was a whole system, a whole sacrificial system to atone for your sin. And that's why we see and why so much of, of the language around Christ's death on the cross is the language of, of the sacrificial system because it was his sacrifice that ended all others. He was the atonement that took away all of our sins, offering us freedom that we no, we no longer have to worry about God's judgment or how God feels about us, or what God thinks about us, we can know confidently that not only does he love us, he has called us to a free relationship in following him. The truth is that well-meaning and sometimes ill-meaning, if we're honest. Sometimes people just don't know. Sometimes they know exactly what they're doing. Sometimes these well-meaning or ill-meaning believers try to convince them that their salvation still rests in their works. It still rests in you coming to church enough. It still rests in you dressing the right way. It still rests in you never having a tattoo. It still rests in your hair being the right length. It still rests in some places with ladies that you wear full-length dresses and other places that your head and your face are covered. In some places it's said that a woman will never speak in the church. In other places, if you do not commit to following the rules in a certain way, you will be ignored by your family. In other places, if you reject the rules outright, your life will be taken from you. This is what happens when people who want to be in control of others use God as a tool to do it. And yet Christ has offered freedom. And what we have in Galatia and what we honestly have in America too are a lot of Christians still in bondage. One of the best ways to keep a people enslaved is to make the concept of freedom confusing and make the concept of enslavement simple. Make it very simple. Put those shackles back on. When we start talking about freedom, we start getting all muddy and we're just not sure. I mean, it can't just be by faith through grace, right? It's got to be more. We look at people that lie in our churches and we see that they're not following what the teachings of Jesus throughout the week and yet they sing at the top of their lungs on Sunday mornings and we think, something's not right here. They, did they really have that freedom? Is that really what it means to be a Christian? If we read in Ephesians 2, Paul again is teaching, this is what he teaches about this very subject. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the the rest of mankind. Verse 4. But God. Despite all that other stuff, but God. Being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show you immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. If we go back and we look through these, we find in verse two, it says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And what we know is that in talking about this freedom, number one, we are dead in our sins. We are dead in our sins. But I find most people, most people who believe that they are Christians who are most enslaved or in most in bondage and not experiencing this freedom reject this one principle they reject the idea that they were dead in their sins i'm okay i'm a good guy i'm mean, i really am if you spent some time and got to know me i'm a good guy i really don't have to you know follow what the bible says i you know it's it's good and all but i don't really have to follow that i'm i'm you know basically a good person And those basically good people, while believing that they're free, are truly chained and shackled in a prison. But that is not what Jesus wanted. If we go to verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, what we find is that God had mercy on us. And he made us alive through Christ. We find that God saved us through our faith in his love and grace. We also find that we did not add to God's grace by our works. Let me just say this. All those rules that you all mentioned, there are many good applications for all of them. There are good applications for not drinking. If you struggle with alcohol, if you struggle with the abuse of alcohol, it is a value not to drink. There are so many people in. You've heard us share from one of the pastors that we've watched for a long time fall from the overuse of alcohol recently. A huge church, one of the largest churches in the country, fell to the use of alcohol to mask the struggle he was facing. It's a good rule. Is it the only rule? Does it mean you're not a Christian if you have a beer every now and again? No, that's not what it means. There's a good application for that. What about you need to be in church every time the doors are open? I'm not in church every time the doors are open. Does that mean I'm not a good Christian? But the truth is, when we choose not to spend time with other believers, and we do not make that a regular, regular part of our weeks, it's not that we have not fulfilled some rule that we have to follow to get God's favor. The truth is, is it just makes it harder for us to build sustaining relationships with people that can encourage us and build us up in our faith. So, we more easily walk into enslavement because we don't have others around us saying, Whoa, Mark, don't forget what this is all about. We get busy in all the things of our lives. We put so much time in for all of our hobbies. And yet, when we don't regularly spend time with other believers, what does that say about our priorities? Some of us will be glued to our football games. We've already been glued to several this weekend. And, yet, let's just make sure the the sermon's short enough. See, the reality is not about the rules. The reality is about the priorities that are important to us in our hearts. And coming to church and sitting in that seat does not make you more holy. It does not make you more lovely. It does not make God more pleased with you than a person who's not sitting in that seat. However, if you don't spend time with other believers, you will struggle in your faith. We don't add to God's grace by our works. His grace is free. It's given to us. And then this is another truth about freedom. And it doesn't feel like this is freeing, this feels like this is bondage. But we were created to do good works by the Spirit of God. Now, this is where I think we struggle. And this is why we try to make freedom confusing. Because we say, What do you mean? That? What? Now, how can we be free in the grace and love of God? And then at the same time, somehow we're supposed to do good works. How how can we how can you bring those two together into some kind of cohesive argument for freedom? And the reality is that for a lot of us, we have so fallen onto the side of God. I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and receive God's blessing. And yet God is saying, but is that blessing changing you or are you just wanting to rest in the fact that you don't have to do anything there's so many people that they spend their time and their resources on things that don't do anything in this world don't do anything to to build up their faith or the relationship with christ They don't do anything to help someone who's in need or to show someone a better way of living their life and that they sit praising god that they've been saved by grace Does this mean that we are free from the law? Here's my answer. Yes. And sort of. How's that for definitive? Are we free from the law? Are we free from the old covenant? Yes. And sort of. And I get my answer straight from Jesus. Because that's what he said. Not exactly in those words. But that's pretty much what he said. What we know is that we are free from the ultimate judgment from breaking the law. We're free from that judgment. Before, you were only free from that judgment if you did enough good things and you had enough sacrifices to cover the bad things, right? That was the old covenant. That's what Paul's saying. There's a group among you telling you you've got to follow the old covenant, which meant you've got to atone for your own sins. That means you ignore the sacrifice that Jesus gave for you. So we are free from the ultimate judgment from breaking the law. We also read that we are made clean. We are dirty before God. Yet Jesus on the cross made us clean. He also not only made us clean, but he made us new. Which is a wonderful parable of the wineskins. We are made new. God has restored us to the relationship that you were meant to have with him all along. It's the freedom that he's giving us. But when that happens, this is the disconnect. And this is the sort of, this is the part that we struggle with. But when that happens, it changes our motivations in this world. When you experience freedom through Christ and you recognize Jesus really lived. Jesus really gave his life on the cross. Jesus really did rise from the dead. Jesus really is in heaven preparing a place for all those that would follow him. Jesus really is doing those things. When you realize that and you realize this world, have you ever wondered why the number one genre of horror movie is supernatural thrillers? Have you ever wondered why that is? We're obsessed. People outside of our faith are obsessed with the supernatural. And the reason that is, is because they would rather give a nod to the supernatural and ignore it. Than to acknowledge it. And say, I reject it. So we love the supernatural. We love those Movies where demons are coming from all over the place, witches, Ouija boards. We love that stuff in our culture because ultimately we each know that this that we see with our eyes is not the only thing in existence. And it's easier to give it a nod and to ignore it than to simply say it is real and I reject it. That's the way the world works. Our motivations change when we not only see what is real beyond what we can see with our eyes. We're motivated to follow not the law, but the spirit of the law, which is the spirit living in us. Very different. We're not motivated to follow the law because being motivated to follow the law means I can on my own do this apart from God. But we are motivated by the spirit of the law because those are the instructions of our God. And we seek to follow Him. As we read in Second Corinthians 3, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Do you realize The Spirit can be in the midst of hardship and doubt. The Spirit can be in the midst of pain and suffering. The Spirit can be in the midst of failure and success. The Spirit can be in the midst of disappointment, discouragement, and depression. The Spirit can be there. And where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, if you think, well, Mark, that's great, but that sounds like preacher talk to me. And I think you're just curving this thing to still do the exact same thing everybody else is doing. So we'll come and serve and give and do all those things. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to do what? Fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But here is the problem. Jesus is saying, hey, I am here to show you what it looks like to live this out, not to enforce it on you against your will. Here's the problem. With living in freedom. We still live. In a sin filled. World. We're surrounded by it. We're touched by it. You and I can't help. But feel the effects. Of it. We have relationships that are broken. Because this is a sinful world. We have people who have rejected the gospel. Because it's a sin filled world. We live in a world where people say only weak people, only people who won't even think for themselves follow religion or the church or the gospel or Jesus, whatever word they want to use. You and I still live in a sin-filled world. And it would be wonderful, absolutely wonderful, if when you ask Jesus to be your Savior, that you would be whisked away to this Christian utopian society in which we would live the rest of our days just happy and wonderful and everything worked out great. Our farmlands would would produce a yield ten times what the rest of the world would see. We would never argue, but if on occasion we disagreed, we would hug it out, right? For some of you, that doesn't sound very utopian. (laughs) If God were to do that, How would anyone ever know the power of the gospel in this world that everyone else lives in? I often wish he would whisk us away into that utopian society. How wonderful would it be if a person got saved and immediately they got to be in heaven? How great would that be? But that's not the way God works. We still live in a sin-filled world. And the enslaved always want to enslave others. Misery loves company. But I'm telling you, you have been called to a life of freedom. Verse 13 goes on and says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. See, one of the things when we go back, I mean, of the hundreds and thousands of laws that are now in Jewish history... As we look at them, Jesus said, I'm not here to do away with the law. Now, he's not talking about all the law that was added after the fact. He's talking about that which was given directly by God. There are so many laws, to, it's just crazy. If, if you come from that background or know someone who does, the, to stay strict, be a strict adherent to the Jewish law, it is, it is impossible. But the law that God gave, Jesus said, I'm here to fulfill and I'm here to show you what it looks like. And what Paul is saying is that all of that can be summed up. And Jesus said the exact same thing. He said the law in its entirety, Jesus said it can be summed up in two things. Love God and love others like yourself. Paul says it's to love and serve others. See, that is the motivation of a person who is free. Because they have seen that the world is different than the way everybody else lives. They see that to know Jesus is different than the rest of the world. And our motives change. This is where we struggle as a a leadership team at Journey. We struggle with this very reality on a regular basis. Some of our conversations have very much to do with this problem, this issue of saying, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, these are the indicators that you're a follower of Christ. And when a person is not motivated to follow those indicators, to live by the Spirit, to avoid the sins of the flesh, to serve others, to look for opportunities to, to meet the needs of those who are in need, when a person continually rejects those things, we look at the fruit of their life and we say, It's inconsistent with what a heart that's been changed by God. It's inconsistent with how that heart's supposed to be. And so we could program that into you. We could create a list of rules and we could look at you really mean if you don't follow one of them. Or we can say, you know, you really shouldn't come and worship with us if you're not going to follow our rules. We could do that. But by doing that, we take away the work of the Holy Spirit and put it in the hands of our meager little leadership team. And we are a very false substitute for the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. So there are times that I talk to other pastors and they're like, well, why do you let people do this in your church? Because I'm not the Holy Spirit. Well, why don't you make people do this if they're going to come to your church? That's not my job. <laughs> That's a heart that receives the Holy Spirit. Now, we do put some boundaries in place, and you'll notice that we don't tend to back down on important topics and things that aren't necessarily widely accepted. The reason being, we know that there are people around this world that loves to see Christians be enslaved. And so we like to be pretty firm in calling those things out. When we go through and we look at some of the teachings of Scripture, there are some teachings of Scripture that are intense, and Paul saying... Those people that are trying to enslave you, I wish they would emasculate themselves. That's strong language. So we believe that we don't have to be doormats and that we just sit around and go, this is what's going to happen. Okay, Well, we'll just watch and see what happens. But instead, we speak up. And we say, don't give up your freedom. But still, it is not our work. It is the Holy Spirit's in our lives. So that leads to a basic question, and this is our, this is what I want to just ha- I just want to this is all I want to handle today. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some specific specific things that keep us in bondage. But today, <clears throat> this is all I want to deal with. So, what does it really mean to be free? What are we free from? That is the basic question. If I walk up to you and say I'm here to save you, your first question is going to be from what? What have I missed? Okay, so what are we free from? Number one, we're free from the inevitable judgment from failing to uphold all of the law. If you mess up at anything, does anybody do that? If you mess up in anything, you're out. We are free from the inevitable judgment that we are going to be held accountable for following every piece of God's law. We're free from that. We, don't know, we no longer have to worry about that. We no longer have to wake up thinking, maybe if I just stay in bed all day and don't do anything or think anything or look at anything or talk to anybody, maybe today I'll be okay and I won't be on my way to hell today. We're free from that kind of thinking. What else are we free from? We're free from the separation from God and the separation from Jesus Christ, which is where all of humanity exists without the sacrifice of Christ. We're free from that. We have the opportunity not only to know him, but to walk with him, to hear from him, and to follow him. We are also free from being slaves to sin in a sinful world. I tell you, I, this world is screwed up. I saw this week, and I don't want to get everybody's political blood boiling, but I saw this week, you know who Guccifer is? Have you heard the name Guccifer? Guccifer was sentenced this this week to four years and four months in U.S. prison. He's a Romanian hacker. You might know what he's responsible for, and that is a release of a whole bunch of emails from Clinton's email server, which I know you don't want to hear about that email server again on a Sunday morning. But here here's what here's the way the world works. This is what bondage looks like. We already know that some of the content and some of the statements made by one of our presidential nominees or our primary nominee, whatever, Demo- whatever. I don't even know what the right term is. Has already been told by legal officials in our nation. They did, they did the wrong thing. We already have people in prison for doing the exact same things this person did. And now the person who has revealed that is now in prison for four years and four months. And yet the person who's responsible for it all is likely to be our next president. If you think, well, Mark must be a Trump supporter, well, you can hang out a little longer. I'm not really excited about anybody, (laughs) to be honest. But I'm telling you this, we live in a broken world. We can't expect people to be perfect, but come on. We live in a world that chooses to punish a few and ignore for others. We live in a world that chooses to enslave those that can be used to control While those who are doing the enslaving profit from it. We see it from businesses. We see it from governments. We see it from individuals. We see it all around us. Because you and I still live in a sinful world that desires to enslave rather than experience the freedom that Christ is promising. We are free from being slaves to sin in a sinful world. Let me tell you what you also are free to do. Because of this freedom, it's not just that we are without condemnation. You are also free to know and love God. And the reality is, is that there's a, a diminishing number of people that get excited about that. And yet that is the very basis of a relationship with Jesus Christ. I get to know him and love him and he loves me. It is one of the things that we, we just don't get excited about it anymore. We're also free to follow the teachings of Jesus that bring life and freedom. This is where our motivation changes. When we look at the teachings of Jesus, we no longer see them as rules that we have to follow them. We look at them as godly principles that we get to follow and leave, live apart from everyone else who was enslaved in the world an opportunity what would your life look like if you truly loved others what would your life look like if others truly loved you what would it look like see many of us want the benefits of this freedom and yet we don't want to be held accountable for what it takes to truly be free We're free to know and love God. We're free to follow the teachings of Jesus that bring life and freedom. Here's a wonderful thing. We're free to worship that which brings life instead of death. We can worship him. We can also overcome the yoke of every other kind of bondage. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some of those. We're going to talk about failure. We're going to talk about financial bondage. We're going to talk about many different ways that you... Deal with bondage on a regular basis. Here's what I want to leave you with. You will choose by your actions and your priorities what you're going to be enslaved to. I won't choose that for you. It's not my place. I can't choose that for you. I can't make choices for you. You will choose. By your actions and your priorities, what you are going to be enslaved to. But you do have the opportunity to be free from all of that. And what does that look like? Quite honestly, there is not a formula. I would simply say what it looks like is living by the Spirit. It's just living by the Spirit, letting Him speak into your life, letting Him move you in the ways that He finds, give, brings life. But I want to leave you with a question because you may disagree with some of the things I've said today, and I'm okay with that. But one thing I know you can't disagree with me about is that while I don't know what it is, right now you feel the need to be set free from something. I don't know what it is. You may feel the need to be set free from your anger, you're just angry. Maybe it's something someone's done to you. Maybe it's something someone was supposed to do and they didn't do for you. Maybe you've watched other people and you just get so angry that they get away with it. You're just angry. Maybe someone looked at you and they said something about you or your life and it just shook you. It made you angry. Maybe some of you are just wishing you could be set free from financial bondage right now. You are under the yoke of debt, and it is the exact same thing as debtor's prison. It's just that you get to go live and sleep in your own bed. You want to be free from financial bondage. Maybe some of you want to be set free from disappointment. Maybe some of you want to be set free from depression or discouragement, anxiety. Do you want to be set free from that self-condemnation that when you look in the mirror, you tell yourself over and over and over you're not good enough? Maybe being set free means that we need to step outside of the lives that we're living. That we have just allowed ourselves to put one step foot in front of the other. And we have gone to work and then we've come home and then we've gone to work and then we've come home. And we've continued this cycle of slavery within our lives rather than experience the freedom that Christ Gave to us. I don't know what you are looking to be set free from, but I know every one of us has something we want to be set free from in this life. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's fear that your life in the future is not going to look like you hoped it would. Maybe it's the fear that you really aren't good enough for God's love. Maybe it's the fear that you're not truly a Christian. Or the fear that no matter how hard you try or how much you believe, nothing will ever change. What is it that you fear that you want to be set free from? Jesus died on the cross so that you could be set free. Here's what I want to do. We're going to close in one song. We are going to take our offering as we normally do. And while we don't do a whole lot of altar calls, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just, I'm going to stand to the side, but I'm just going to open up this front area. And I just, if it may be that today you just need to confess before God what you need to be set free from. There are so many times that just speaking the words to God, the words that you were scared to death to say. And you don't have to speak them to me. We're not going to give you a microphone to speak them to everybody else. Maybe you just need to speak them to God. God, I need to be set free from these things. Maybe today you just need to experience the freedom that comes through the love and the grace of God, through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross so that you could know him and walk in freedom with him. Whatever that is. As we close out with this last song, I want to invite you to come. Before we do that, would you pray with me? Father, God, I struggle with what it means to live free and to struggle with the shackles of my own making. I know I'm not the only one, but so many times it feels like we are the only one. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see what does it mean to truly be free today, to be free from the bondage of guilt, to be free from the bondage of having to do everything just right, to be free from the fear of that one day we will stand before you and you will tell us you were not enough. Father, I pray that we will experience freedom in this place. I pray that you would help us to encourage one another that when we are so motivated or we are, are tempted or when others are actively working, so that we will again be enslaved to a different way of living than you have called us to. That you would help us to encourage one another to remember How wonderful this freedom is. Father, I pray that you would help us to know you. I pray that you would ignite our hearts to love you and to love others. And I pray you would motivate us through this freedom to do just as Paul said, to stay focused on loving and serving others. God, I thank you for your love and the grace that you've given us in spite of our sinfulness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.